dead <laughs> Better than all the dead Better than the quickest ones You guys watch Shit's Creek? Did you see the one where they cover Simply the Best? I, soft, I have not actually I, I not. do not and have not as well I know really? I should I, do. I know I need to Everyone that Everyone. I respect tells me that I should be watching Shit's Creek well, in that episode yeah. where they cover simply the best uh, in a romantic context, made everyone has a mo- had a moment with that song because they were like, "Oh, I didn't realize the lyrics were so sweet," because it because it's such a corny song. But anyway, I'll watch that episode <laughs> only. We're here I to talk about Shit's intros. Creek. <laughs> this is Frame Rate. I'm Michael Swaim, one of your Shit's Creek navigators, and Abe, tell people what you love about Shit's Creek. I am Abe Epperson, and uh, I love that I have the potential energy of watching it later. And oh, that anticipation. Yeah, that's that key sweet, to it. That's sweet true. anticipation. You know, it's a great way to kill time uh, while you anticipate watching Shit's Creek at some point in the future. Uh, having that? a pal around to discuss Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. How about we do oh, that What instead? a Shucks. impeccable transition. Thank Shucks, you. Howdy. Thank you. And with us to do so is uh, someone we both said before we started taping, we sorely miss talking to. Damn you, quarantine. Uh, it's true. <laughs> we miss you, Katie. We love you. And thank you for joining us for this frame rate. Ladies and gentlemen, Katie Stoll. Hi. Oh, I miss you guys too. As soon as I heard your voices, I broke out into a smile. You can't tell because I'm over here in my pod, but I'm mm. smiling pretty mm. big. I miss you. I moved to the Bay where you have family and I expected that meant, but then again, I also didn't expect moving to the Bay would mean I would not see Abe in person for over a year. Like I planned Mm -hmm. to visit LA. Right. Yeah. You were even in LA and it just didn't work out. Oh yeah. I was in LA to shoot some stuff for IGN that, but it was so rigorous. We didn't. Yeah. Meet at a park and sit at two different tables and just stare at each other and eat our sandwiches. During quarantine. You were here. Yeah. 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 Uh, yes. Uh, I was the sole employee willing to travel <laughs> from the Bay to Los Angeles to do a bunch of live shows that needed to happen around Gamescom, a huge European video game convention that we covered. But Small Beans is where I get away from all that. So let's talk about <laughs> The Quick yes. and the Dead. Um, as I said, Sam Raimi directed, uh, not written, I checked, but... Mm-hmm. But for my money, I'm I'm just so incredibly thrilled we finally touched upon this film because this is like a, a, a movie that it's probably in the top viewed movies of my life. I've seen it so many, many times. It never gets old. It's like Princess Bride or The Labyrinth to me mm-hmm. where it's always entertaining. Die Hard falls in this camp. Um, and I just have known I wanted to cover it from the beginning. It's my favorite Sam Raimi joint. So, Katie, I got to ask, what caused you to choose The Quick and the Dead over all the many, many movies we could have watched? Uh, a combination of things. Uh, so I first glanced at the list. It jumped out at me because uh, I've never seen it. And I've always wanted <gasps> to. I know. <gasps> I know. But um, in picking the movie, I also vetted the I forwarded the list to my boyfriend and I had him pick 
several that he would be interested in watching with me because it's hard. It's hard in quarantine. Katie, There's no other place adorable. to go. Adorable. That know. is so adorable. So that was one of his picks, and as soon as I saw, it, I was like, "Yep, that's the one. That's what we're going with." Because I've never seen it. Wow. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. Well, you know the next bit. Let's get into Let's it. Let's get into it. Just first blush impressions, because that's so interesting seeing it. Wow. It didn't occur to me it's possible that this could be your first time watching it. Yeah. Well. What's that like? I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I Hell was, yeah. I, oh, good. That's the, the thing. It took me a, a beat uh, of like, oh, wait, there's some serious camp in this. Um, and I oh, loved yeah. it. I loved every second of it. I love the performances uh, from all of the main cast. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, um, I, I don't watch as many movies as you guys do. I, I mostly spend my days binge watching TV, but this was, this definitely scratched an urge for me. Like I also haven't seen that much, uh, Raimi or I have in the past, but I, 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 it made me want to go and start going down that path as well. <clears throat> I know this is different yeah, being great. a Western. Um, right. Yeah, but it's a great it's a great Raimi starter pack. Yeah, it really is. It like gives you the it gives you the hits. It gives you kind of like the glee of filmmaking mm-hmm. from Raimi is like really well pronounced in this movie. Um. Yeah. Those are my my first blush impressions. Abe, can I say something spicy just to cause drama between you and yeah. I for entertainment Spice purposes? It up, I think Captain. and. I never, I didn't think I would think this as a young man, and even like a twenty-something, I held Ramy in such high regard. But ultimately, looking back on his entire body of work, I don't think you need a Ramy starter pack. I think you just need a Ramy set that is "Drag Me to Hell, Army of Darkness," and "The Quick and the Dead." Gonna say "Drag Me to Hell" is next. Yeah I, yeah, I I sat down and we were like, okay, Dark what are his Man? other movies? It's good, <laughs> Where do I want but it's next? not like indispensable. And I love Drag Please. Me to the Hell. I saw that a long time yeah. ago, but I definitely think right. that's going to be a rewatch very soon. A Simple Plan. Oh, my God. Oh. I take it back. A Simple Plan is phenomenal. We can't talk about that because that's another one like this one that we need to cover desperately. The man co-wrote the Hudsucker Proxy. He I, did? The shrine. He's a good the altar. Guy. <gasps> I like him. You, that's the other take. thing I was just saying I want to watch soon. That's wild. Hudsucker? Hudsucker's because I saw phenomenal. that with you guys at your old Pasadena house, I believe, Michael. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That's another one I constantly put on okay let's all right that was a nice fun way to examine some of the cast and crew (laughs) but let's hone in on this thing that we're talking about now the episode of Shit's creek where they cover simply (laughs) the best um, uh abe i i mean i have notes i have i have so many thoughts my mind is whirling and whirling uh Mm -hmm. but I was I'm wondering if you have structured thoughts because sometimes you tend to structure your thoughts more than I do for these things and or I'm interested to hear your take having just covered drag me to hell in some depth for director piece theater you can God. catch that episode if you haven't yet um thoughts on like how this compares what you know where this falls in Raimi's career and like what makes it Raimi-esque things of that nature I'll just highlight that <clears throat> To sort of like context things, you know what I mean? So this is an early 90s movie, and I'll point out that it came out a time when Westerns, film Westerns, were so resurgent, specifically thanks to probably a lot of the credit can go to Unforgiven, great movie, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
which like reinvigorated the genre to a degree that they had trouble finding costume enough Western costumes. What? Because they're like, we're shooting Tombstone and like this and that and the other thing. We're out of like Hollywood. White Earp. Hollywood. Where they shot? Was it that Western town here in LA? There's been so many Western towns throughout the years. Yeah. Uh, There was a big fire in 95 that took this one. I forget the name. This is of one it. of the last things. This shot one's at gone. The Tucson yeah. town, I think, or something. And then was, I think yeah. in like 2009 or something like that. I can't remember. The other, another big one, which they shot Deadwood that's the at one you see in Deadwood. Tombstone. That was that even, one burned down. That's the one near here. I think that's even more recent because I shot there a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, it might be more recent. But it has burnt down since then. Okay. Or maybe yeah. there's two different. And, yeah. uh, maybe once it was much. Doesn't Once Upon recent. a Time in Hollywood have a sequence there mm-hmm. as well? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's like they burn down because they're all chaparral. Will, and when big right. fires go, that's say, exactly where they go. As we were watching, I, <laughs> and every all these wooden structures and big bonfires out front, I was like, ooh, so many yeah. people yeah. got burnt up in these old west towns. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was, oh, that's true. I also do remember, I mean, and let's be honest, it's because it's a set. It can only be so ambitious, so big. But... I remember as a kid, the first time I saw this in theaters with my pops and the buildings blew up. I was like, that's like a third of the infrastructure of the town. Can the town still function after this? Can I? (laughs) I don't know chronologically how you go through this, but that moment, I, I have thoughts on that moment. Oh, we jump around in time. There's we jump no around structure. however we want. Also, I yeah. love confirmation that you've never listened to Frame Rate. That's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> putting that, putting that I, saving that one for a rainy day. I certainly I have a long time ago, but I have to be honest. Being in this podcast <laughs> sphere, I don't listen to anybody's shows, including my own, because I'm I, like I'm the same way, especially it's, since quarantine. Especially yeah, since I don't drive anywhere. I find to me, it's more either... about the purity. It's more like I need, I'm the best podcaster, so like <laughs> no. I'm not going to drag myself down. I think it's you either are podcast or you aren't podcast. I listen to all, like Katie, I'm all caught up on yours, but oh also all the game fully unemployed. I just listen to lots and lots of podcasts. Abe doesn't mm-hmm. listen to any, so it's you either. I go you know, in spurts. I listen to some of my friends. Like anytime they have a new podcast, I'll listen to it. Or if it comes up and I'm going like, oh, I just typically am not a podcast guy. Hey, I do want to talk about what you started talking about. Oh, uh, rainy context. Yeah. Though I do want Katie to talk, but I'd have a little spiel that I think will be. I think it's interesting to people, and not a lot of people know about it uh, in terms of film history and the concept of the Western. Um, because you mentioned 1992 kind of unforgiven jumpstarted this nineties insurgence of like classic traditional Westerns. And, um, I think, I think with our tour filmmaking and the invasion of the blockbuster, we fell in love with the action adventure aspects of traditional Western tales. Like it's about the shootout at the okay corral, but it's more about the guns, the blood and like the vengeance aspect of the Western. And that's kind of what we have determined in our society now is what a Western is, right? Mm-hmm. Like this feels classic, right? Does and it, it ends up resonating. Yeah. Always like 
very strongly with the mythical, simple, iconic right. elements of Japanese cinema from like the earlier era too. Mm-hmm. Like it usually can be traced. Like the the quick draw is similar to the samurai mm-hmm. thing, where they both draw their mm-hmm. swords exactly. in one swipe. Um, exactly. There's a lot of hallmarks, and what I think is interesting about this period is you have that classical Western John Wayne era where westerns are westerns. Then you have this period, like you said, kicked off by Unforgiven. And Unforgiven was famously a twist. It's like, what if it's about the simple vengeance, like human cost of vengeance, soul Well, that's story. the thing. That's but what I wanted to point out. It also ushered in an era of people. That's fine. Explain how I'm wrong right after this. I can't wait. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. want to say, to me, it feels like it ushered in an era of people taking different swipes at Westerns with mm-hmm. their own voice, because this is right. not similar to... This is not fully a spaghetti Western, nor is it a John Wayne Western, nor is it exactly what Unforgiven is. It's a Sam no, Raimi style all. adventure Western, mm-hmm. which yeah. there's only one of, and it's the quick and the dead. It's very unique in the genre. It's it's unique. It is definitely referential to the spaghetti Westerns the most. Um but I'm glad you did separate like the John Waynes from like the spaghetti westerns, because there's a reason that we came up with those terms. That wasn't just like random racism. Uh, they made different types of movies, and we have to kind of unpack what westerns looked like in the '50s and '60s to really look at what that was. Thanks. So, what's interesting to me about Sam Raimi and the whole reinsurgence—you watch Wyatt Earp, you you know watch Tombstone—it's a lot of the spaghetti-style westerns. And it's not like the shootout at, uh, or it's not like uh, Howard Hawks or John Ford or, or Anthony Mann. Those American filmmakers of the same genre wanted to paint a landscape to portray the American frontiersman spirit, like self-reliance, um, like loyalty to family, you know, it, but it's like the territorial bombastic aspects of the Western, the guns, the, you know, the shots of the eyes, the, the music, the dusters, you know, like this is the kind of thing that was actually fetishized by the Italian new wave which is what we then called at that time the spaghetti western. Oh, I was hoping it's you like, would look define at all it these, for me. <laughs> uh, Italian new wave. New wave is basically the concept of someone coming over to another country and making films of that type of country. So, like the French new wave would be like people making French like styled films. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Totally. And it's uh, so new wave is like there's a new group of uh, filmmakers Admirers that come in with a different it, yeah. perspective. It may be young or old, or it may be a different country uh, coming in and making like American movies or their mm-hmm. versions of American movies. And in this case, uh, I thought a lot of people, critics kind of talk about how uh, Italians came over and they were like, look at these rough and tumble Americans with their lawlessness. Look at them toil and be like gross and get drunk. And it was just like taking st- American stereotypes yeah. and trying to regurgitate them in a stylized way because that's what the Italians did. And John Ford and the Americans typically told a different version of the Western. If you look at like Shane or you look, you know, Searchers. like, yeah, it's like. It's true, the gun violence and the iconic dusty town were and continue to be romantic. But in the 90s, we quoted Italian filmmakers' version of America back to America. And that's what makes the 90s Western revival so interesting to me. Like, Sergio Leone 
is basically the uh, he's the guy who made like the man with no name, fistful of dollars, good, bad, and the ugly, etc. It's all wah. over the film. <laughs> also, like, interestingly, the the right, this is the only Sam Raimi film ever scored. Not by, I forget his name, but the guy who scores every other Sam Raimi movie. Neil Morricone, yeah. This, is, uh, this was scored by Alan Silvestri and specifically told to emu- emulate Morricone. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, does, and that's what he does. <laughs> that's well, all so really I thought that interesting was just... to me because as I'm watching it last night, again, I am mm-hmm. not the cinephile that you guys are. And this is why this is so fascinating to me, this conversation. And I'm excited to be here. I was watching <laughs> it and being like, how much of this is, I think I even used fetishized version of the West. How much of this is a, uh, you know, this style that we see so often in, in Westerns, I guess the spaghetti Western, how much of it is, is, you know, exaggerated or based in reality. So this is interesting to me. Yeah. Well, two things well, I remember uh, from the crack days that I think that are really telling. <laughs> yeah. I'll let Abe take take the second one because I can tell that's what he's going to go for. So the first thing I was going to say that I do think is telling uh, and supports what you're saying Abe, about the fetishization specifically, because let's get down to it. This is about duels, gunplay. The weapon itself is very mm-hmm. fetishized. Um, and, you know, I can have problems with I don't know. That's a whole different conversation of like. I don't like fetishizing guns per se, although this has more of a detached fantasy element because they're like old West guns. But my point is... It's still part of this American narrative of guns. It's true. It absolutely is. the mythology of it. I'm not not saying it's an unfettered good. No, you're right, though. But uh, I just think it's telling about the intentions of the cast and crew that... um, the guns are incredibly historically accurate in this movie, way more than most Westerns or indeed modern day movies with guns where they fire 45 times in a thing that only has, you know, a clip that can hold X number of. And I'm some gun expert will say I should have said magazine instead of clip. I always forget what it is. But my point is, I don't know guns, but I know enough to read on Google that tells me <laughs> that they did a very good job with the guns in this film down to the fact of like uh sharon stone's gun is the only one that's still a hammer lever action so her gun is literally and i love this detail because it supports the character and the storytelling her gun's slightly harder to use than everyone else's gun so when she defeats herod like because we were gonna have to talk about how she is like also specifically a female icon right Mm -hmm. that is not common in the western that's a new direction that stone and raimi take to like to the genre that's so cool and uh she rules i love that as part of that is like she has to work even harder to succeed you know what i mean that's Mm -hmm. so fitting that's really cool and i like that they talk about it too and they don't talk like it's in the movie the fact that she's a woman, they notice it and it causes more strife for her mm-hmm. because of this bullshit yeah. world. But not specifically yeah. called out in the movie is the fact that her gun requires her to manually pull back the hammer, what which the guy's no. guns don't. Which she's, is I love just that really subtle more work. Yeah. Yeah. But Abe, you were gonna say how oh, just Westerns real quickly, are completely bullshit, right? Go they're ahead. completely bullshit. I th- we made a sketch even at mm-hmm. Cracked where uh, we just talked about how it's like, no, they were normal people and it's all exaggerated. Like 20 people in the history of, you know, like the old West died from actual duels. You know, like no one was <laughs> a, out there. There's dueling. only one or two recorded instances of people doing a quick draw duel where they count to 10 or mm-hmm. whatever. That is not a thing. 
yeah, it's I almost mean, always it was, it's exactly but... like we are now. It was like people we got hardly mad ever at, have duels. You're right. People got mad. Yeah. No, no. When there was gun violence, it was that people <laughs> got mad at each other. Right. And one of them waited with a gun around the corner. And when the guy came, they ambushed shot him. him. Yeah. They shot back and forth at each other a few times. They hid behind stuff. Someone got shot. The other guy ran away like normal gun crimes. There yeah. was no. Yeah. The other thing is that people heavily overestimate during the go- like golden era of like the old west like when there was like deadwood you know the idea of a town with lawlessness it's only like a nine year period or something by the way right <laughs> the, there wasn't that many people that's the other thing is that you don't go into a town of like 45 and go like I'm going to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're going to get caught, you know? So it wasn't as violent as it's usually portrayed. Although there were a lot of drunks and frontiersmen, but like, right. honestly, it's mostly people just trying to get rich from gold mining. But as has been pointed out, what the Western film genre really is, is a uniquely American and in some ways propagandistic American uh, pastime of telling ourselves mythic narratives that's that are uniquely american and support what does it mean to be american this i don't i mean it's much more complex now but westerns are arguing part of that it's independence uh exploration of the frontier right it's it's a very american genre and more than being rooted in reality it's rooted in and telling of i think what americans think it means to be american Mm -hmm. westerns get there the quickest right yeah yeah. But I would argue that with things like the POV shots from the point of view of the bullets and there is stuff that Raimi brings to the table that doesn't exist in any other Western because yeah. he still mm-hmm. filtered it through his style, which is so cool. There was a moment, again, not the cinephile here, where I paused it and I was like, this stuff isn't typical of Westerns, right? This is the this is the Raimi factor. And H was like, my boyfriend was like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Abe, can you speak to that? Because you're saying a lot of it is is intentionally, like the montages over black backgrounds. That's, that's very ex- spaghetti specifically Western. where, yeah. That yeah. was another one, yeah. But what, how much are we wrong? Is, is Does it all fall within traditional film tropes of Westerns or is Raimi doing some Raimi shit? Uh, uh, Raimi's doing some Raimi shit with the the backgrounds there, but the zooms, uh, the framing of shots, mm-hmm. that's it's it's basically one. Like if you had everyone does this, there's other f- Italian filmmakers, but everyone kind of comes back to uh, Sergio Leone because he, I guess, was just he made the best trilogy. Well, by the way, the, the memorable one, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like is, Clint, he mm. he made Clint Eastwood is like, like unforgivably cool. entertaining. It's so engaging yeah, it's the whole really time. cool, yeah. and <laughs> it's based off of a samurai story. Like the first one, it's like it, it's great. But it, it, that style is the approach that I think Sam Raimi really kind of dove into. There's a quote that is one of the best quotes I I think I've ever heard about Raimi that I found on the research for this, uh, which is um, Janet Maslin of the New York Times said this of um, uh, Stone's performance in Raimi's directing. Uh, Stone's presence nicely underscores the genre bending tactics of Raimi, the cult filmmaker now doing his best to reinvent the B movie in a spirit of self-referential glee. 
I think that last phrase there is like, she's got Raimi to a T like Raimi's always going to take something like the Western and then he's going to make it like, let's look at the B movie aspects of it. Like when people had fun and I'm going to reference that stuff. So I don't know if he had a particular references for everything he did, but he definitely is playing in that, mm-hmm. you know, he's playing in that dirt. But um, I, I would argue that the quick and the dead is a little more effective at the nuanced detailed level. It seemed like he was taking mm-hmm. his job very seriously. For example, a classic Raimi shot. There's basically two that are the loudest that come to mind. One is a series mm-hmm. of montages that are pump, zoom in, pump, zoom in, pump, mm-hmm. zoom in, you know, like, uh, in army of darkness, mm-hmm. him suiting up and putting all this shit on. Uh, that's the one thing everyone goes, that's Raimi. And the other one is we strapped mm-hmm. the camera to a projectile and it's from the point <laughs> and of view of the flew projectile. At, that's Raimi. There's that's no one Raimi. else. And <laughs> that's entirely Raimi. I'll compare it to army of darkness where that happens with a crossbow bolt. And it's really just flourish. It, you go, that's cool looking. And it hits the guy in the back. Or I forget, it might go into a note in the wall by his head. I forget. This is not that mm. movie. But yeah. in this one, the moment he does it is for the shot that is the bullet leaving the hero's gun and going into the eye <laughs> of the villain getting their comeuppance. And this is a villain whose strength line, their power position they came from is... You have to understand my childhood was so fucked up. I'm not scared of anything on earth anymore. And that's the source of my power. He even says when he fights court, mm-hmm. uh, I actually feel a little scared. I love the sensation. That's how rare it is for me to feel fear. We get to watch uh, from the bullets that's going to kill him's point of view, fear enter his face for the first mm-hmm. time in the movie. Yeah. And you see the fear of death in his eyes as you zoom into his eyes. So our final like interaction with him is as close up as you could possibly be to the eye, the window to the soul of the villain dying. It's literally like, do you, you know what I mean? It's mathematically as much satisfaction as visual iconography could possibly ring out of a villain's yeah. comeuppance. It's literally like, it's beautiful to me. I love how that. Perfect. Like, it is. Yeah. <laughs> the, you just describing to it. me, to me, it makes me like it even more. Makes um, me want to watch it again. Uh, just before we jump off critical uh, critics and that yeah. talk conversation, I just want to, you guys are going to get a good kick out of this because I did. I was, uh, you know, I, I pull up uh, as much as I can find through Reddit and through just searching film analysis on Google. And uh, and sometimes you just go straight to the source, which is a uh, quick into the dead Wikipedia page. <laughs> so I was looking at that one. I don't know if you guys were looking at that before this. There's a section under legacy of the film that there's a there's a, a section called uh, critical reassessment, which is that uh, it's it's now considered to have cult status because it bombed. When it came out, that's nuts. To uh, me. It's and so critically, it bombed. But then, with more time, people were like, "You know what? This is actually solid." And their Wikipedia, so some person typing on a computer, decided to use the following uh, section, and I think you'll hear a familiar name. So this is the critical reassessment short paragraph excerpt that I found here. Although having a mixed critical uh, reception upon release, The Quick and the Dead has received praise from both critics and fans alike. 
Tom Ryman of Collider considers the <laughs> film as one of Tom Raimi's best movies. Quote, the movie's so unbashedly bonkers that it's impossible not to have a good time. Oh, uh, Tom, you so made it. I don't even think Tom knows that he's on the quick and the deads. The Wikipedia. <laughs> reference. Yeah. So I'd like it if we can get on that Wikipedia page to say that. Uh, small beans says that frame rate also says good yes that Tom's review of the film is so unabashedly correct that it's impossible <laughs> not to find him correct. Please do uh, that. I don't know how to Wikipedia, but someone do that. Someone do that, <laughs> or or whatever. But I just thought Tom would like that. <laughs> All right, more Katie questions because she saw it for the first time. Katie, yes. did you okay. cry when the kid died? So I had a I had a hard time. <laughs> I was like, I can't watch this. I could, you know, obviously there was a point much earlier in the movie where you're like, oh, he's going to have to fight his dad. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to fight his dad and he's going to die. And mm-hmm. as it came, I, I got really nervous and I thought I wasn't going to be able to watch it, but I did watch it and I didn't. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I full on cried, but I definitely got a little emotional. I think that was beautifully done. That whole yeah, the shot where he falls to his knees yeah. and it. Oh, I'm sorry. That's when he wins one where he falls to his knees and then you pull back and then the Swedish oh, guy yeah. is dead. Yeah. Right. No, no. This is the one where he's like, damn, he's fast. Or yeah. damn, that was fast. Damn. That and was then fast. he falls. Yeah. Oof. Uh, Ooh, did I get him? Did I kill him? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. I don't it die. Was, I'm scared to die. It was Ooh. absolutely gutting. And so that's. And that uh, moment oh, with Herod above him saying he was yes. he wasn't my son. He, yeah, he never proved he literally myself, himself to him be on, my son as he's dying. And I exactly. love the payoff there that I just noticed this time is he muttered, but I had subtitles on this time, so I never heard him mutter. It was the farmer that mm-hmm. uh, he's not mine. So he references the farmer. The only other time he references farming is when he's mocking him by saying hands. you have a farmer's yeah. hands. So retroactively, you realize, oh, that's also something he mm-hmm. says to imply you're not even really my son. So it's like makes the previous scene even more insulting. Um, mm. here, you can I, also tell he's yeah. on some level gutted by it. You know, he isn't he, not gutted. Gutted is the wrong word. No, he's confused because yeah, he is. No, he's so antagonizing of everyone and he believes that everyone is so up against him that he cannot fathom trust or, you know, love. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he is feeling something because let's face it, that is his kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, know? and like, he's the hub of the story wheel, right? So like, it's very Batman-esque in the sense of the Joker's the most interesting character in Batman. I feel like mm. the structure of the story is Herod, Gene Hackman, let's not not tip our cat to Gene Hackman, um, makes such a fucking, both in the performance and the way the character's written, such a compelling villain that it's strong enough to support the whole universe, essentially. And everyone's Mm -hmm. arc is in relation to Gene Hackman. It's like, Court has this situation with Gene Hackman. Sharon Stone has this situation with Gene Hackman. The kid has this situation with Gene Hackman. And each payoff, like the town represented by Sergeant Cantrell, has this relationship with Gene Hackman. So it's really the... uh, It's funny, we were talking about Possessor right before this. It's the reverse of that. Possessor is like following someone and slowly realizing they're not really a hero just because you're following them. This is like, I feel like the more I watch Quick and the Dead, the more I realize, despite myself, that it's Herod's movie, which is yeah. uh, chilling because he's a terrible, terrible person. But I love that something that makes him even more chilling is he's not one dimensionally evil. 
Uh, otherwise, there's no reason for him to be so insistent on corrupting court, Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's saying that he wants to prove, look, I'm right. There is yeah. no purity. There is no good. Everyone's corruptible. That means I'm equal. I'm morally yes. equal. I'm not that bad. That implies he actually does care about, and as mm-hmm. Katie said, when he kills his own son, which is quite a stimulus, it seems to impact him. So I think it, man, villains where you get a glimpse of how like they're just human with like a lot of yeah. damage. Uh, it's way more chilling because you imagine this person could exist. So one of the things, I mean, I, I am very fascinated by his relationship with the kid and with court. I mean, at some point, I'm not sure who says it. There's a reference to him wanting somebody to be his equal. Also, by the way, I'm watching Hunter Hunter. I don't know if you guys have ever watched that. It's an mm. anime. That, that's the anime? It's right. An anime. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but and I've seen oh, it. Hunter a, X it's on Hunter? Netflix, right? Oh, Hunter X. Sure. Yeah. I don't uh, know what it's called. That's just how I've seen it. Yeah. Online. Um, okay. Very interesting, strange show. Beautifully done. There's a character that wants to have these young hunters. He, he doesn't. He sees them as competition someday. He wants them to become come to their best potential so that he can fight them. And that's kind of what this relationship with Court is, right? He wanted right. this character. He, he, that's what he says. He's always wanted to fight Court. He always wanted right. that. He's the only one that gave him that actual thrill of being alive. Mm-hmm. But the same thing with his with the kid i felt i picked up on some elements of like a classic father son dynamic of you know you want this kid to make you want to be him to be somebody that carries your lineage and you can be proud of but also he doesn't want this little shit to uh surpass him in some capacity yeah, I think that's the gift that the screenwriter gives, and it's a uh, to this movie, uh, which is also kind of a theme that we've seen in a few westerns before, and it's the concept of like the father being so arrogant and so vain that they're not allowed, they d- will not allow themselves to pass the torch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what Unforgiven's about, except that Unforgiven, he never had a son, and he's we're kind of, he wants to give the torch up to someone and he's sad that he has no one because his life made him a son of a bitch. Um, it's kind of the reverse of that coin where uh, Herod is basically will just never give Leo uh, the, you know, like it's your world now, mm-hmm. which is kind of salient right now. <laughs> Considering boomers, oh, yeah, it's et okay, boomers, yeah. the, the Western, yeah, yeah, it's, it's also, um, I mean, and of course, it's not like beating around the bush, it's a redemption story. The name of the town is Redemption, yeah, so it's, it's called it's also, The Quick and the Dead, yeah, it's like, unlike Unforgiven, which is it's called Unforgiven, which is about how no, he doesn't get redeemed, he's unforgiven. <laughs> Quick and the Dead is a redemption story, so it's it's the opposite ending, but on the same theme for sure, yeah. And if uh, the Quick and the Dead is a phrase that's just kind of I was kind of looking Biblical. into what it meant, like and it's th- there's references earlier, but I found that the, I probably the one that we're most familiar with is from the Bible where it's basically mm-hmm. talking about, uh, like people who do not obey God's will, like outsiders and, um, uh, people who, j- who, who 
It says specifically, it warns those who sin, both the quick and the dead, will be judged by Jesus Christ. Uh, so God yeah, well, the is quick also gonna the judge quick us also all. used to mean your your life force. Like if you cut me to the quick, it means you cut me to my soul. So right. the quick and the dead literally means God judges both the living and the dead. And of course, if you're in a Western, it also means you got to be quick or you're dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, so that's, there's also, it's it's not a remake or anything. It actually has nothing to do with this film. There's an old 1948 film, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't recall. But it's a World War II film called The Quick called and the, the Dead. And okay. it's kind of playing with the same themes. It's like, a, right. I think Raimi knew, he was like, The Quick and the Dead, there's been a few movies, there's been a few books and stuff like that. They all themically want to say that, like, you don't pass judgment, God does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is why... Court is a religious, you know, he's a priest. Yeah. Also, how good is it? I love that the kid and the lady have casual sex, but then the love story doesn't come Mm -hmm. to culmination or matter. Like, whether or not she kills Herod has nothing to do with the fact that she slept with Leonardo DiCaprio. I love when she's riding off. He's like, I don't think you heard me. I (laughs) said I liked you. Yeah, that was hilarious. I think it's because she's a she's just a gunslinger, you know. That's what she I mean. She got too drunk. Yeah, and he was around. I just like in movies the depiction of casual sex that doesn't need a payoff. Yeah, it's uh, there's this weird rule in movies where it's like they hooked up, they're gonna get married. Yeah, this is a, <laughs> so there's no romance here. Life now, yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. I love you guys. We mentioned the shot before. But I love, did you, I, this is the first time I actually caught and I kind of kicked myself for not noticing. We mentioned that Leo, the shot, I think both Mike and I's favorite shot, because we talk about this shot a lot. Uh, when Leo drops down to his knees and cameras pump zooms out and then uh, Scars falls down yeah. in yeah. the foreground and he goes, is it possible? Is it possible to improve on <laughs> yeah. perfection? Yeah. Uh, it, because it's this thing that Raimi's doing where he's like trying to, say to you oh did the kid just get shot yeah because right. typically you see shots of eyes gun sounds people react go oh and then it cuts to the person who's going to die in absolute stillness and then they drop out of frame or they fall onto their knees so it's this kind of reversal uh i thought that's always yeah. been good well, to I, me but it's go ahead it's such a great flip of the traditional western trope but it's even better because they i for i didn't notice until now that when ki- uh when Leo and his and Gene Hackman face off, uh, and it's father and son, he does the same exact thing, but in reverse. Mm-hmm. It's like literally he sees the shot of Herod shot in the neck, and he like peels yeah. away, and then it cuts to the uh, cuts to his boy, and he says, "Damn, that was fast!" and then keels mm-hmm. over. Good so catch. I just thought that that was nice little bookends to his character. Also, like, and then fast, there's a third. Uh, not fast enough. Go ahead, Katie. Oh, this is. <laughs> Not adding any commentary in terms of shots. <laughs> Just shout out to Mark Boone Jr. who plays Scars. And uh, you guys might right. know him from Patriot. He plays uh, the uh, That's right. big bearded guy afternoon spray <laughs> writer. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, he totally is. That guy. He's great. Uh, wow. Man, oh, I just saw yeah. that and got excited last night. Patriot's incredible. Incredible. Um, incredible my favorite show the last five years (laughs) but um it's funny that you mentioned hunter x hunter because that made me realize 
I wrote down in my notes that I think what makes Sam Raimi's visual style unique is that he, uh, he so pre-plans his shots that it, it feels very storyboarded. Mm-hmm. It, he doesn't do coverage. He does a planned shot with an idea and a concept behind the shot. And he has a lot of contrast between wide and close, uh, more than you usually have in like a quote unquote transparent film. And it strikes me as comic booky. I feel mm-hmm. like he shoots like a comic book. And now I realize, I think it's even more true to say that he shoots like manga. Mm-hmm. So I would just, I feel like if yeah, you watch Sam Raimi movies with that in mind, true. you'll see what I mean. I love that. Yeah. Including the black voids, because that's a big technique in mangas to have, uh, or manga, if I'm saying yeah. it wrong, wrong-a, um, is to like use impressionistic backgrounds instead of feeling the need to draw mm-hmm. a literal background. You just mm-hmm. do like, uh, you know, a starburst. You've seen Absolutely. it, or just lines to indicate speed because the character's flipping around. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Raimi uses those techniques. There's this, there's the shot in this with the, uh, I love when they used to have to do this with what, two panes of glass, Abe, where that's a diopter where like two, the far background is in focus and Sharon Stone in the far foreground is in focus. Yeah, split and she goes, diopter is the name some, of the tool. Some people deserve to die. And it's Gene Hackman walking into the saloon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost um, like it makes a ton of sense that he got a Spider-Man trilogy, you know? Totally. It does, and absolutely. I think that's another through line is that's something that's interesting about the quick and the dead as a Western is it has a proto Marvel feel to it in a way that not all like tombstone doesn't have and Wyatt Earp doesn't have it. It does make sense that Raimi directed a bunch of spiders, man. And I think you can see the beginnings of his ability to play in that world of like he's constant high stakes, but fun adventuresome, but it can be serious when it needs and you're bouncing around. That's very Marvel. He will be remembered, in my opinion, as one of the people who really kicked off this generation, like the Simpsons generation, our mm-hmm. generation. You know, like um, there's always it's not entirely Brechtian, but there's always an, a wink or a nod at like the you're you know enough about film grammar. You've seen these shots before. I'm just playing on these themes here as a filmmaker. Like, no filmmaker would ever, like, say, like, this is what I'm doing and this is why I did it, mm-hmm. uh, really. But I do think that he does this thing. All He, he in particular, uh, loves this brand of humor and, like, just, like, Gene Hackman's death. Can we talk about how awesome that that is? <laughs> well, that's oh, what I mean yeah. by flips. It like, has a superhero aspect. These are gunfighters yeah. as superpowers because as right. is pointed out on IMDb's trivia page, which I think is great, you can't shoot a bullet at someone from a pistol so hard that they flip over because <laughs> no. the third law of, of like cons- conservation of motion is that that gun would have such a high kickback that you would flip back. You would also, right. Yeah. Right. Like no, it's... <laughs> It's silly. The guns it's, are magic. I mean, that's also what makes it marvelous. The bullet holes being are huge, huge, clear holes. Enormous, no bleeding whatsoever. It's not like yeah, it's a clean hole. It's Cauterized done several times through you. Yeah. Uh, there's another shot where, uh, like, I forget who steps into uh, uh, like the saloon, and we see his shadow on the ground, and it makes him like 
18 feet tall. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like he's doing Gene shadow Hatton, stuff yeah. just yeah. to emphasize the reality so much more. And that's kind of what I was talking about with that wink or nod to the fourth wall. It's like we're he is making it like a comic book where sometimes comic books, because of the the medium in which they're working to kind of beg you to go. I'm reading a comic book right now. I'm watching a movie right now. This is silly. But fun, you know, like mm-hmm. I think that that's that's one of his legacies. Um, and that's why I like the yeah. stuff like this um, and drag me to hell because it's like so on the nose. But it's kind of like where he came from. It's Evil Dead, too. You know, it's a, a hand walking around. And then when like you have a little drama with the hand and the hand flips you off, it's like it's these kinds of jokes. True. But I just feel I do feel like Quick and the Dead has that extra layer of everything mm-hmm. being so efficient and so nicely so nicely dovetailed together. It reminds mm-hmm. me of Nightcrawler in that way, which we covered mm-hmm. not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, I got two more examples that I think really drive it home. The, the fact that the vengeance plot, the fact that she was forced to kill her dad, Gary Sinise, uh, is parsed out literally during the final duel. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you get, this is a, I mean, a staple in storytelling is you get the ending you knew you wanted, but in a way you didn't even know you wanted Mm -hmm. it. So, you know, you want Herod to get taken down. You didn't know until the very last instant that it happens Mm -hmm. that you wanted him to be taken down by the daughter of the former marshal of the town who you brutally Mm -hmm. murdered and burned alive. It's like, Oh, that is what I wanted. I didn't even know that's even better. And the idea that like so many directors would not take advantage of the medium's ability to disjoint time and would say, so we start with, This guy rolls into town, he kills the sheriff, he scars the daughter, he takes over the town, the camera follows the daughter, daughter grows up, we fade to her sipping whiskey, and she's like, I'm gonna kill that son of a bitch. By not doing that, by instead having her say, you don't remember who I am, right before she's about to murder him, then you see the horrible thing, then you she immediately murders him, it's the most po- instant possible gratification oh, at the highest possible scale. So satisfying. And like, yeah, that's the whole movie is just designed to satisfy as thoroughly as possible. And that's unique to the adventure genre. And I think it's it's all about these efficient plan payoffs and the it's a roller coaster ride, right? So the sharper you can make the curve, the more sheer the drop, the more impressive it is to me. And I think the best example in the movie is that literally the you know they have a plan. You know she and Court have a plan, but you don't know exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. You think something will happen mm-hmm. with the duel, and you're on a close-up of the hand drawing the gun, and in and you see the clock in the background, and you're like, that's normal, because the clock is what they draw to. But the clock in the background explodes amazing. before he can draw his gun. That is such an amazing maneuver on so many levels because metaphorically, the clock is the thing that symbolized the rules Mm -hmm. of the competition. So the movie is literally saying, your old criterion, the whole movie has been a structured contest. That's over now. We're in uncharted waters. The rules are, the thing that is the rules blew up. At that same moment, you're like, 
wait, I thought this was going to be about a gunfight. Yeah. And it's like, no, we brought explosions to a gunfight. Like it's upping the ante in such a real way. And how satisfying is it that you're like, this guy thinks he can push people around because he can draw a gun from a holster quickly. We're going to blow up your fucking house. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay, here's an explosion. (laughs) I will say that this is, it seems like a good time to talk about this moment. Um, I loved it. Like you said, you knew there was a plan coming. You knew she wasn't actually dead somehow. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we saw her looking at all of the dynamite or whatever. So I knew that there, I figured that there's going to be something involved with it. But for a woman or two people even who do not want unnecessary deaths, wild how much of that town got blown up. <laughs> yeah. like, like there's they a shot with people on a balcony getting blown up. Um, and I was like, what? And then afterwards, everybody's like cheering for her. I'm like, she destroyed your town. You know that, that's, right? And she that's also Marvely. That's yeah. what the Avengers do, Absolutely. isn't it? I just thought that was so interesting. Yeah. Because that is true. I definitely had the thought this time. How are they going to ensure the continuity of life in the town afterwards? She, it's implied she's the marshal now. And I'm like, okay, but it wasn't just that there's criminals. You also need to administer to like the needs of the town. There's injuries right now. (laughs) Yeah. You blew it all up. I, I I tried to track it carefully this time. I believe they blow up the clock tower, which of course makes sense because that's how the plan works. Herod's house, because sure, why not? Okay. But then they also blow up the saloon yep. and uh, adjoining brothel. So mm-hmm. I understand symbolically the saloon is where all the bad men hang out, and it's where the at first of all is the prize money still in the saloon? Did yeah, they? Blow yeah, up the, the prize, prize money? money was blowing around everywhere. Yeah, that's true. They didn't even keep the prize money. Didn't even the keep it. Need that money? I know. They spent all their money on a hired gun. I know. I think they can get some of that. It's also like three million dollars in today's terms. You yeah. know, like it's a uh, lot of money. It's, it's but quite blowing, a bit I'm of just money. saying, Horace was a good dude. The blind kid's main source of income is mm-hmm. from people who going in and out of the saloon. Um, and even though the women of the brothel were clearly abused and it was not a good situation. I don't know that their prospects are better if you just blow mm. up the brothel. No. There's no classic, through. Classic, <laughs> classic uh, kink shaming, sex work shaming. Yeah, yeah. No, with no infrastructural support. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are they going to do now? Uh, move to another shitty town yeah. <laughs> somewhere. Uh, that's, yeah. It's it's a moral question that we're seeing more and more and definitely like with the advent of the superhero, the new superhero model and like the post 9-11 kind of America, uh, we do ask that question a lot more. Yeah, Tony about Stark got sad about yeah. New York yeah. getting blown up. Yeah, but I mean, that's absolutely what I thought about when watching it, too. And it's in Greek plays. I mean, it's mm-hmm. in like Oedipus, you know, like it's it's all the way in the back, like it's it's been there since like uh i mean i homer doesn't really do it but i would say that this well th- no he talks about like you can make this choice brave odysseus but what about the cost to the people like the oh, pe- they, they you do know, talk yeah, about the, it but yeah. in the end we still go like yeah but achilles fuck he's so he's got to do whatever he wants yeah. to do yeah um <laughs> yeah because that's kind of the question that we're talking about here and it's a something westerns do almost always which is our heroes like ellen the lady 
uh, Sharon Stone, they're always righteous. They're always fair. They're always just, but they always have a motivation of vengeance. And I always think that that's an interesting philosophical question because uh, do you guys like that aspect of Western heroes? Do you think it's like majorly flawed thinking is the question it forces us all to ask ourselves. And I think that the cost that you guys just, uh, you know, examine is exactly why Westerns work. And it's like, I really like that aspect. So I don't know. What do you guys think about well, that? Do you think it's like our Westerns bullshit because they're always like, rah, 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 look at this hero who's got his, he's a John Wayne or she's a John Wayne, always looking the fair, giving everyone a shot. And then, and then all the second that it's like, yeah, but they done me wrong. He's like, well, I'm going to shoot it all up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's kind of obliquely referenced it. That's core to American value though, is you're going to stand your ground and shoot the person. So I do think Westerns embrace that. Yeah. Westerns are built around the myth of if I had power in my hand and I have a good heart, Mm -hmm. I'll project that power in a Mm -hmm. useful way. And I won't be tempted. I won't do bad things. I won't kill myself. I won't accidentally let my kid find it. I'll shoot a bunch of bad guys. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting because this movie specifically, she's grappling with that. She's almost like, I'm not mm-hmm. even going to, I don't want to have to kill people. You know, and she runs away. She also ran away because she thought she couldn't because she thought she was too scared. Um, but that's a fair point. John Wayne would have killed so many more people, even in a classic Western. Mm-hmm. They make a point of being like, she's maiming people, but she doesn't enjoy killing yeah. people. Right. That's what also makes the union between her and Court interesting. I think Court's a really kind of interesting guy. Uh, yeah. Court is definitely the best Russell Crowe joint, I think. So... Here's something I also found. I did not know this. Sharon Stone, she was the vehicle. She was like, yeah, she was right. Obviously, but uh, like Gene Hackman, obviously knocking it out of the park and all that. But uh, she was super insistent that Leonardo DiCaprio was in it Hmm. uh, after seeing him. Uh, And he was nominated that same year for What's Eating uh, Gilbert Grape. She Hmm. also found Russell Crowe. She discovered, yeah, discovered him. Yeah, because he'd never been in an American movie. Uh, so granted, that's Raimi, but she was like the produ- main producer. She had she had complete, like, she was in the room with Raimi determining who was the casting for the main bits. And uh, I think it's something that people don't know, that this is a phase in Sharon Stone's life where she may have like started to build the careers of two wow. huge of stars. Leo and Russell. Yeah. yeah obviously Wild. Leo, I think was always going to be successful. Cause even as a kid, he was like, wow, you're I can't believe it, that. I mean, yeah, I, I was also saying that like, obviously he's got become a better actor as one does as you get older and you do your craft. Mm-hmm. But gosh, he was astounding. Already good. Already yeah. When he was young. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, she also chose. She also got um, a list of directors when they were, uh, when the screenplay had been approved, and list. she accepted. Yeah. And she chose Sam Raimi, so she made this movie. This is her movie in terms of like it's made this taste. happen. It's all. It's her, what she wanted yeah. to make. It's, it's her how menu. she wanted to make it. She had all of her power, and she decided to make this movie, and it flopped, and that sucks so bad because it's good. And the film mm-hmm. features five Oscar winners, uh, yeah. four wow. Oscar nominees. <laughs> and Gene Hackman doing like oh. a haunting performance. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, Gene Hackman notorious for being hard to work with because he's like an actor's actor in terms of like my, my, Oh, I know it's written in your script, but, um, the way I conceive of it and we talked about it on the phone when I accepted this role, uh, this is how they think and they wouldn't do that. And so there's moments where that kind of stuff happens with Gene Hackman where he's like, I wouldn't do that. And it needed Raimi to be like this young director to be like talking to Gene Hackman, who's totally out of his league and be like, uh, well, I, I think I have an idea of why your character would say that, you know, and then try to get Gene Hackman to say it and they come to agreement. It's tough. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of superpowers in this uh, film and I'm just so gleeful to it. It, it tickles me uh, that Gene's, Sharon Stone assembled them. Yeah. Gene slapping Sharon Stone with her glove was improvised, which I do not approve of. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but her reaction is genuine. She gasps and like lunges at him. That's real. <laughs> Love that. Yep. Love that tidbit. And that's uh, where yeah. Sam Raimi's sitting over at Video Village going like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. That's uh, but Circle also, take. yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah, that's call... what directors do. Shit, I have to file an incident paperwork report. Oh, but also you Circle Take. I did. Um, I, I, I was a little disappointed, but also not not disappointed. I, I was really thrilled at like, oh, man, Sharon Stone, this total babe, just mm-hmm. decked up in, you know, the cowboy gear and not caring about appearances. And then it didn't take long for there to be an incredibly sexy shot of her half closed right. in bed the you know the, right. the morning after hooking up with leo right. and i was yeah. like oh there it is but that's fine it's the minor 90s. Y- it's you the expect 90s. it <laughs> it's the early but 90s. expect it and we don't like it and you need she to point get... it out and say let's not do this ever again movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she does get to do the thing that the western hero needs to do which i love which is also just as quick with words and yet in a terse, simple country way where you're not mm. going to use extra words. Mm-hmm. But yeah. just as like every good Western hero is a fucking Don Rickles burn in your ass. <laughs> and she has such good burns. Yeah, she does. You're, you're pretty. You're not. Yep. So I'm, good. I, I need a woman. You need a bath. Yep. So good. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> yeah, she kills it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you guys? I still can't find it. Uh, so apparently Sam Raimi puts his old Oldsmobile in every movie. Yeah, oh. I heard this. I know and, what you're going to say. And Bruce Campbell says that he, he made like a, like maybe the card at the beginning of the movie or something like that. In some DVD commentary, he commented on it's in this movie as well. I don't think it's actually, but he can't obvious for obvious reasons, can't, you know, show a car chassis, but it's just like, uh, it's just hilarious to me. They but, dismantled it and built it into one of the wagons. I think they use pieces. So oh. here's my theory. Bruce Campbell is well known for his Jeeps. You think Bruce his Campbell's pranks. just lying? He's just, he didn't even, he didn't even tell, you know, Sam Raimi's probably like, I'm put it when I can, but obviously I'm not going to put it in a coin of the dead. That's stupid. And then since they're friends, they were probably joking around. And then one day, Bruce Campbell was doing a uh, DVD commentary and decided it would be funny Just, to say that it's also in Quick and the Dead. <laughs> Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe he did that. Clock. That just seems the stupid to me. The clock. Why um, would you spend that time as a director to do that? <laughs> but if we're just doing trivia, I also didn't know that Joss Whedon rewrote the ending. So Whoa. like the plan, the plan with the die and the clock and the explosion 
had Joss Whedon's input. That makes total sense to me because he is another dude who shines at that roller coaster shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He does. It feels um, Serenity esque in its pacing and in right. its tone. Also, it's kinda... he's done Marvel, right? Yeah, he did Avengers. Yeah. yeah, he did the biggest. That's what I thought. I yeah, I didn't want to um, say it confidently because I'd be an asshole if I was wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting. I would like to see Joss Whedon get back to you know, uh, cabin in the woods type mm-hmm. stuff. Serenity. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Totally off topic. Go the ahead. Ending, <laughs> um, like the, the interesting thing about you mentioned like, uh, the, the red dye and stuff. So like, just, just to refresh everyone's memory, cause it's kind of a smaller detail when the lady fakes her death with red dye, Showing that she takes a fall in the, I guess, the semifinals. Um, where With the help the of the town doctor who's in court, on it. Yeah. Face off. Like the whole town's kind of on it, in on it. And um, it's so she can kind of disappear, you know, plant all the explosives, like work with the, you know, um, town to get everyone out of the buildings. And then like, you know, right when court and him are about to fight, uh, and court and Herod are about to fight, she kind of comes out for an epic comeback. Um that's much like a fistful of dollars, uh, Sergio Leone's classic, where uh, Clint Eastwood at the final gunfight also doesn't appear to see what he uh, doesn't appear to be what he seems. Um, he, Eastwood reveals after being shot a few times that he's got a metal plate, which is just like I'm not even following the rules anymore. Kind of way to attack the villain. It's the same maneuver, but they upped the ante. They, they, yeah, yeah they upped the ante and they did it a slightly different. I wonder if Joss Whedon, uh, or the screenwriter who kind of installed that in there. Cause that's not quite the ending, but it definitely sets up the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if they were at, that was intentional because it's not, it's not like a metal plate. That would be obvious, but like, it's basically the same trope and that's not a huge trope in spaghetti Westerns. To be like, oh, in order to beat the bad guy, Fake I just cheated, you know, but yeah. it's definitely in tune with the characters. So I thought it was particularly apt, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> when what? the kid first hits on her, he says, Horace, Horace is the bartender. Horace said, you drink this stuff. You sure must want to die young, ma'am. I do now. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I met you. Yeah, I it's like uh, flashes to uh, Maddie Ross and uh, True Grit, right? Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. Western dunks. They're kind of the best. <laughs> it's true. Cowboys shitting on people is hilarious. Right. I disagree. <laughs> it's just a funny voice It's just to the do. deadpan delivery, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the I, seriousness. I reckon not. Yeah, it's very <laughs> calm. I reckon not. Spits. Ooh, now, now am I fast or is Sweden just a very small place? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That. Oh, I forgot about that whole, uh, that whole battle is so good, too. Oh, yeah, the little sequence that's like the kid's epic rise of girls fawning on him and money spinning through the air and him dispatching opponents is Mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Sam Raimi, king of the montage. Yeah, I think there's something. Here's the thing. And this is like my it's not a theory. It's just an opinion I guess I have about Raimi. I actually kind of think of Raimi when I think of modern Westerns. I mean, obviously, because Quick and the Dead. 
But even without it, if you look at like the history of like a lot of the westerns that like became big deals, like Once Upon a Time, and you know, obviously the man's no name, Django, you know, Mm -hmm. like these films. uh, As a filmmaker, open like Raimi is really rugged, and he's kind of like a like kind of born in the wrong generation in a way. Like, and here's why, like he's got a lot of similarities with traditional Western directors. Uh, Like his beginnings were very stylistically and it pushed the budget as far as it went. They usually shot in weird extreme conditions for no reason. Uh, And then they got polished over time, which is true about Raimi's career as well. Like the polish got there when the money kind of arrived but I like him because he reminds me kind of them. And he also reminds me of like Carpenter would be another like more modern filmmaker that also is in the same vein, who is truly a craftsman who just like uses like duct tape and plywood boards right. and puts his dumb car in every movie because he thinks it's cute. I, I, I like it is my point. Like, uh, I think Raimi really like going back to that quote that still resonates in my mind, like reinvent the B movie in the spirit of self-referential glee. Mm -hmm. I think that is exactly what Sam Raimi is all about. And he does it like that. That self-reference is because he just loves movies so much. And he's, he's just like a kid in a candy store with this stuff. He's got to, he's got to do the eye shot. He's got to do weird little plays with shadows in order to make someone way too big. Like it's a Looney Tunes. Why? Because I don't know what tone I'm going for. I just know that it's like fun. Right. And like, I think that we don't give a lot of credit to filmmakers like this who aren't going out of the way to do like an actual parody of something, but are rather just trying to have fun with it. And it just turns out maybe comical or maybe it turns out stylistically like unique, but ultimately this guy's just doing what he wants to do because he, he's just grabbing at the movies that inspired him to make movies and just like piecing it together. Uh, and it doesn't matter uh, like if the budget's too big or too small his style is going to shine through. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me a lot of like old Western, you know, filmmakers, like definitely at, uh, after the, st- when the studio stopped giving money to Westerns, it like persisted forever and ever. Western was just the thing that we had to keep making. And, um, I forget who made the proposition, but that 2005, like Australian film, like it's the same kind of thing. It's like most Westerns that are made after like sixties, all the way until like, I guess this resurgence period in the nineties, it's like, why are you making a Western though? Like you do not have all of the things that you need as filmmakers in order to make this. Like, it's a hard thing to make a Western people die. They get sunstroke. We once went out to the desert for like a week and like, it was a big problem to shoot there. I gotta Um, say, I, I told us not to do it at that time. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. There's a particular uh, sketch that is like, yeah, that, that must have sucked. Uh, and We had fun, but yeah, there was some heat stroke. It was tough. It was tough. Mm. So imagine doing that for like a month, two months. And you, yeah, you can drive around because it's L.A., but that's just going to add like two hours you know, both ways in some cases yeah. to your day. Like it's, it's, it's tough to shoot a Western. Mm-hmm. Abe, let's shoot a Expensive. Western. I love Western. Oh, God, yeah. Me it's, too. It's a Western and noir. I mean, talk about like 
style well, genre. Don't give them away the formula. <laughs> what, well, I'm, noir? I'm working on a western noir. I don't want well, other people to get. You need to, to that. look at Blood Moon. I've seen it. Okay, that's the only western it's, noir. It's one of the only touchstones in the genre. Yeah, I can which think is of. I think it's a right, and it's genre. crazy because uh, they 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 make so much sense together, right? They do. They totally do. Like the they, stylistic. They characters. actually overlap in time, which is. It's just on the East Coast. Why didn't the West Coast. more of those yeah. get made? I think it's because Let's we didn't have like one. it's called we Dark didn't have Hearts. like Edgar Wrights and and such. You know, we didn't have like genre mashup. Well, that'll uh, be our third it's... movie, which uh, the one we're writing now will be our big break, and then we'll do furry movie, and then we'll do dark. Oh, Hearts. I'm just mm-hmm. waiting for furry movie. I love that script. I think well, about that a us lot. Money. <laughs> I would. Money. I, I don't have much to give, but I'll give a little. No, we'll crowdsource it. We're not talking to you. You're gonna be in it something. Or oh, something. please. Yeah. Like, we'll figure it out. Please. We're gonna all. We're gonna. We're gonna figure it out. You know, I still have like so much hopes. Like we're gonna be like the Coen Brothers. Just bring a group of our people who all came from San Diego and all the people that we met. And we take uh, them. You know, along the way in in L. A. And just go like you're with us now. We're gonna we're rise. Just a stable of each other's talents. And let's employ the stable. Oh, I love Make it. Make a movie. <laughs> Rise from the phoenix, uh, the ashes, like a yes. phoenix from the ashes of 2020 and COVID. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want it so bad. It's all I want, really. When it I comes know. down to it, it's all I want. I am thrilled with uh, my career and what I'm doing mm-hmm. with Cody, uh, talking about the news and all that stuff. I think it's exciting. God, I miss it. I just miss making don't, stuff with yeah. my friends. Shoot. And I don't God, think it's mutually stuff. exclusive. Yes, but that's a perfect segue. Oh, you should name the name of that show. Yeah. In the rare case that someone oh, listening hasn't heard know of it. it. Um, yeah. So, Cody Johnston and myself uh, have started uh, some more news. You may have heard of it, uh, the YouTube channel, the show that that he hosts. And uh, we co-host the podcast that goes with it called Even More News. And we also co-host another political podcast on iHeartRadio called Worst Year Ever with Robert Evans, another cracked alum, just really keeping it to. in the family. Um, yeah, Worst Year Ever is interesting because it was pitched and sold as... Uh, a podcast leading up to the election and it became about so much more um, than just the election. But what was Mm. interesting about it is like the original plan had been for us to travel around and to talk to different groups of people (laughs) and get an in-depth look. That makes sense. And that went out the window really fast. We got like a couple episodes in like that really um, before it had to just revert to us being in our own homes on Zoom, you know, talking to each other. So it's a lot of political podcasts at once, but it's been a really great outlet during this time. Yeah, Katie, you've really like slid into this producer role. I mean, I've always known you as a producer as well as an yeah. actor, uh, you know, because, you know, we've done all that together. Um, but man, it's been a you, lot. You guys did a movie. Yeah, I mean that. How was that? That was intense. Um, and I'll say that that uh, you know we've have have a lot of support at this point. Nick Mundy, who uh, also is a cracked alum as well, um, uh, helps us out, and so he he stepped up and did a lot of that. Because actually, the week of the movie 
Um, it was just a, a really intense, because yes, we shot that in about a week. Um, a really intense period for me. And my dog was in the hospital. Yeah, and somebody I remember, yeah. totaled my car. It was parked outside my house and they crashed oh, yeah. into it and oh, totaled yeah. it. And all of that mm-hmm. happened all at once as we were doing pre-production for the movie. Fun. Um, so, and did it's, it ever occur to you that your dog injured itself totaling your car? It did. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. I don't know if the, we'll never know because he doesn't have words. Um, <laughs> but He just has schemes. Yeah, apparently. Um, yeah. But it was intense. And also because it's different, you know, you're not. It's one thing to be shooting something like that in person. And mm-hmm. it's another thing entirely to be doing it over Zoom, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it took a lot of it took a lot of me um, slowing it down. We wanted to shoot it earlier and mm-hmm. we needed just to like <laughs> make sure we got other videos also throughout the month. So right. we're not just releasing that one um, and making sure that we were really organized, of course. But it was intense. It was a really intense. Yeah. But I because I sometimes play games with uh, David Bell, who wrote it yeah. along with Cody and uh, and with Cody. And I remember when, like, it start when production started ramping up, uh, and we're like playing like Minecraft or whatever. I'd be like, "What's going on with the movie?" Yeah, <laughs> and, and he'd be like, "Oh, we're doing this," and they were literally like writing the movie while we're playing Minecraft. So that was fun to be on like, multitasking. But uh, every time I asked about like, when are you shooting that stuff? Or like, when's that happening? Oh, you want to do that too? That's crazy. That's going to well, be a lot of work because I can't really stressed off. me out. And I was like, and his answer was always like, yeah, Katie's taking care of it. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, to be a producer again, um, to take yeah, care of it all. <laughs> Katie took care of it, but Nick, Nick took care of a lot. And Nick Will, lot, who also, yeah. um, ha- also yeah. did so much with us at Cracked, uh, Will Gord, you know, they all really stepped up and no, it you, just you, took all patience. of you guys's uh, collaboration reminds me what like it makes me want to collaborate again. You guys yeah. are truly uh, and it, an inspiration. I think that that project in particular has really it's breathed new life into it because it's not like, again, we've we're so grateful for all the support and, and how well it's been going. Um, mm. But it's been hard, it's, especially during this time to always be immersed in, in so much dark news. Um, yeah. And this year, we'll see what's in store for us coming up. Right. But I think it gave us a lot of ideas and it expanded the scope of what we think is possible with exactly. the show, um, especially if, now that we've invested in things. For people who aren't familiar, uh, check out the channel, the Some More News channel on YouTube, and uh, definitely check out the uh, the long one, the two hour one. Uh, that's the movie. It's called the movie, I think. Yeah. Some more news. Some more news. The movie. Um, yeah, it's and, delightful. Uh, it's like, oh, you did this all in COVID, and it really feels. I don't know. It was just. I'm glad that people are making stuff like that. Yeah. It really. Uh, and I'm glad that you guys have like a platform to do so. Yeah. And it's always it's always a joy to see when a new one hits. So thank you. Well, we're gonna work together in the near future. I I have hope and faith. Yeah, me too. And Collaborators that concludes for the lesson for the day. <laughs> <laughs> what is this bit? Who who do you, who are you trying in that performance to make us think you were? The guy like, who says that in the quick of the dead. Also, that would be a good way to end that. It kind of sounded like you're Kevin Spacey from one of those Kevin oh, yeah. Spacey soliloquy 
That's a uh, sketches the midnight that we did. of the Garden of Good and Evil. <laughs> no, he's more of a Georgia yeah. accent. <laughs> Savannah. He's from Savannah. <laughs> no, the guy, you know, he gets his nose broke. Oh, yeah. It's from the movie. It's from the movie. I say that literally, I say that multiple times a month aloud. That's like the soundbite from this movie that always sticks with me. And that concludes the lesson for the day, no? <laughs> it sure does. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we got to have you on again. I would, I, it would sorry be an honor. Sorry we talk so much. We get excited. It's sorry. I love it. I've learned a lot, too. Hey. Hey, cool. how about that? This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you. <laughs>